0: Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by A Better Night's Sleep Podcast. Ever just laid there wondering how you were going to get to sleep? Open your podcast player and search for A Better Night's Sleep Podcast and stop wondering and start getting A Better Night's Sleep. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of the same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to, think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want, now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain, I am Paul Coliani personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I read your questions and help you tackle life's toughest challenges. They're challenging. <laughs> a lot of challenges out there. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to read you one of those challenging messages that uh, I'm really not sure exactly if there's a perfect answer for. Because sometimes there are systems in place that if you follow a system, you know, a set of guidelines or processes, then you will be empowered so that you can take control of your life. You know how it goes? It's like, even even grieving over someone dying, there's a set of processes, there's a system in place. It's not going to work for everyone, but there are general guidelines and general steps that you follow in the grieving process. And I'm not going to go over those now, but the, the idea behind following a step-by-step process, or at least knowing the stages that you go through so that you know there is light at the end of the tunnel. So, there are a lot of systems in place, which is, you know, some of the stuff I talk about, about, you know, when you have a breakup, when there's a death, when you are in a situation with your job and someone's bugging you. How do you deal with that? There's all these little systems, at least stuff I've created over my lifetime and uh, stuff you read about online or through my website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. All of these systems are in place to help us through Life's challenges. But what do you do when there's no system in place? What do you do when you don't know the next step and no one can tell you the next step? What do you do when no one's been there before or people have been there before and they had to suffer through it because there's no set of processes in place to take care of that? I like to fill in those gaps. I mean, that's what this show is about filling in those gaps where you can't find a process or a system to help you through something. My goal with me and you and everyone in the world is to become empowered so that they can make decisions. You know, the right decisions, the ones that will work for their life. I want you to be able to make decisions that work for you. You know, what does that mean? If it works for you, then you'll be happier or more comfortable or find a place of peace Inside of you. Get along with family members. That isn't always possible. (laughs) I speak from personal experience, and I think probably everyone listening can speak from that experience too. There are certain people you can't get along with no matter what. But there's still a system for that too. I can't get along with that person, so this is the system I'm going to follow. This set of rules, this process, this sequence of steps so that I can at least have some semblance of sanity in my life. I used to say um, in my earlier intros, probably a couple of years ago, helping to keep you sane. <laughs> I want to help keep you sane. So uh, with that said, I'm, I'm going to get right to the topic here. The topic is, I received a message from someone that said, uh, I just got informed of a date rapist who raped me and a few other girls And this person just got out of prison after we put him there several years ago. He's now contacting several people, and I think he's going to try to move back to my town. It's a small community, and I'm terrified that I'm going to run into him, and I'm scared of how I'll react. I want to hurt him as he hurt me and my friends, but I'm scared I'll break down. I'm a bit freaked out, and I don't know what to do. Thank you if you can help. Talk about a a situation. Thank you so much. I'm going to call you Mary. Talk about a situation, Mary. This is one of those challenges that is there a system in place for it? I'm going to say yes and no. Let's talk about the no first. I had to do a lot of research on this because what does the victim of a crime do when the perpetrator is released from prison and now the victim is afraid that the perpetrator will seek them out? There's no good answer for this. I mean, there are some answers for this. But doing some research and trying to figure out, you know, are there laws in place? Are there victim relocation processes in place? Some states have it. Some don't. I mean, I'm only talking about the U.S. I can't imagine what the laws are in other parts of the world. But there are some jurisdictions that will take care of this. Uh, And some that won't. In some areas of the world, you're on your own. And this is a scary thought because if, especially like domestic abuse, uh, sexual abuse, any type of abusive situation, domestic violence, if someone gets out of prison or jail or wherever they are, I'm sure you're hoping that they were rehabilitated and are forgetting about their obsession of hurting you, but the, the truth is maybe not. I mean, let's be honest here. Maybe, and I've read this, maybe the person in prison got even more angry at you for putting them there. I'm doing the hard stuff first. It's possible and maybe more likely that they're so angry that you put them there that now you are a target. This is real. This is something I can't just tell you to think positively and it'll go away. This is real. This could be a real threat. Now, I don't know what the date rape consisted of for you or your friends. I don't know if it was a violent, aggressive, I mean, rape is yes, violent and aggressive. Absolutely. I don't mean to take anything away from that, but I don't know if, you know, there are some guys out there that will, you know, put drugs in a drink and then take what he wants. It's just as bad as far as I'm concerned as any type of rape, but I would look at that as a more passive way to do just as heinous an act. And I don't want to minimize any of this at all. But to me, when I think of someone who does it passively like that, I think of maybe they won't be as dangerous as the violent one who drags you away and hurts you physically and all that. So I don't want to minimize any act of rape at all. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to put everything in perspective so that if you have been violated in some way, that you can consider the way you were violated and if that is just as potent a threat when the person is released. So for you, Mary, that's that's my first thought for you. It's not at all meant to make you feel more peaceful. I'm just trying to build this framework so that if there was violence, Rape is violent, but if there was aggression and, like I said, that physical dragging you away and, and holding you down, or were you passed out? So, just as a third time, I'm not minimizing anything here. Absolutely just as heinous, no matter what you do, but um, what was the framework for what happened to you? Because the framework may identify the type of behavior the person is capable of doing when he is released. So let's just say that it was that forceful, I'm dragging you somewhere and I'm hurting you kind of act. Instead of just, you know, what do they call it? Slipping a Mickey in your drink. I don't even know if that's the right term. I think it is. Uh, but that would cause the person to get woozy or pass out. And then suddenly anyone can have their way with them. I mean, one of the things I want to talk about today are ways you can protect yourself from predators like this, from people who are very dangerous because they are willing to put you out to take advantage of you. So there's that side, which is the more passive way, and I hate using that term with the with the other term, rape, but it's the more passive way to get to the rape. And then there's the more aggressive, violent person that takes what he wants, and this gives you an idea of who you're dealing with later on when they suddenly, hopefully don't, but may appear in your life again. Not that it makes it any easier to deal with, but like I said, I'm setting up this framework so that it will give you an idea of what you may have to deal with next. Now, that doesn't mean that the more passive one won't come back as violent and angry. So yes, I'm, I'm painting sort of a grim picture here because when the person gets out of jail, they will likely not be happy they were put there by you. Even though they were the perpetrator, even though they caused the crime, a lot of these guys don't take the role of, hmm, I better be responsible for my behavior. Some do, I I hope, but I imagine most of them don't. So this is important to know that this whole, you know, we're talking about processes, the whole process of reporting someone, sending them to jail, and then when they get out of jail, what do you do then? The rest of the steps doesn't really have a laid out process in a lot of areas of the world. So, these are things to consider. I still think that you should absolutely report it. I mean, if you've been raped, report it. At minimum, you step into your value and you say, I will not take this from anyone. And at maximum, you protect other people. And, you know, a number of other things. You expose the person and say, this person is dangerous and violent and needs to be stopped. And that could come at a cost to you. But I am all about standing up for my dignity and my rights and demanding respect for my person, for my body, for my life. This is a difficult subject and I can't just tell you that the best way to do anything regarding this, but at minimum report it or at least tell someone so that you know your options. But getting back to let's just say that they are now getting out of prison And you feel like you could be targeted or you could run into this person. Mary, let me tell you this. So I had to think about this. I looked at other people's stories online, what they went through, because I don't know too much about the laws that are present. Like I said, some states in the U.S. uh, have victim relocation processes that you can go through. Some have help services like you can look up domestic violence or abuse services that help the victim uh, protect themselves. There are places you can go, people you can talk to, to protect yourself from a domestic abuser, from any abuser, and even in this case, a rapist. You definitely want to start asking around your area to find out what resources you have available. So that's like step one. What resources do I have available? You know, contact abuse shelters, contact the law and ask them what your first steps should be. Because they're going to no. know. I mean, there may not be legalities in place, but there are people that have been through this. There are probably even uh, support systems and support groups where you can connect with people and find some sense of strength in numbers where you can at least empower each other and share with each other what you're, you're going to do. This is all part of step one. That can be part of your setting up a process to do something about it. Now, Step two, I'm going to reference something that I wrote in The Mean Workbook. For those of you who don't know, The Mean Workbook is the Manipulation and Emotional Abuse Workbook for relationships that determine how much manipulation or emotional abuse is in your relationship, and you can find that at loveandabuse.com. But in the beginning of that workbook, I talk about what makes you the most dependent on a manipulator and what makes you the least dependent on a manipulator. Because in a relationship with manipulation or emotional abuse, the more dependent you are on the manipulator, the more manipulation and abuse you will suffer because you are more likely to stay in the situation because you're dependent on several components that keep you in the situation or at least make you think you have no other choice but to stay. And those components are your level of confidence, your stability in the sense of uh, emotional, physical, and financial, your sense of security, how secure you feel in yourself, your self-trust, how much you trust yourself in your own decisions, your self-love, how much you love yourself, your self-compassion, how compassionate you are to yourself, and your decisiveness. Your decisiveness is your ability to make decisions and just take action. When all of these are high, when you are full in all of these, or at least most of these, you're less likely to be manipulated. When they're low, you're more likely. So what I like to look at, and why I'm bringing this up with you, Mary, is that if you're weak in any of these areas, the question that you need to ask yourself is, what do I need so that I am stronger in this area? For example, confidence. There are several questions that I'm going to ask you about confidence momentarily. But I wanted to bring these up because a lot of these have to do with the path to self-empowerment. And this is the big step two in dealing with someone who comes out of prison and now you are the target and you have no other system to rely on. Let's just say that step one doesn't give you the resources that you need. What is step two? Step two, I mean, step two and step one are kind of intertwined. Empowerment has to come in here really soon but we need to dig and find some facts and get some resources to sometimes lead to that empowerment. But let's just say we didn't dig up any resources. Let's just say that we are at our wit's end and what do we do next? So where are we lacking inside ourselves? Am I lacking in confidence? Yes, I'm, I'm so not confident because like you said, Mary, if I run into them, I don't know what I'm going to do. So there's a lack of confidence. How do I increase that? So we're going to go through these and how they apply to you. So if you are dealing with someone who targets you and you feel like, I mean, this can be for anyone. If someone's getting out of prison and you're the victim and they are the perpetrator and they're going to be mad at you and you know this and you're afraid for your life or you're afraid for your health, this would be helpful to you. But even someone who's been in a bad relationship and they're getting stalked, someone who knows someone who's dangerous and you don't want to be around them, but you think you're going to run into them, This is for the whole gamut of people out there for you if you feel at all like you'll be the victim of something they'll do to you. So this is the process that we're creating now. I'm not saying it's the only process. There's probably a thousand other things we can do but this is when I try this on. I try on being the victim myself and I'm worried that someone's going to come after me. This is the process I would take. So we got step one out of the way. Step two comes and we go, okay, what am I lacking in? Where do I feel weak? Where do I feel like I need more? Confidence is the first one. I do need more confidence because if I run into this person, I'm afraid as hell that they're going to do something to me. So what do I do? Um, this is my little questioning process. First of all, define what confidence means to you. What does confidence mean to me? That's a great question. What does confidence mean to me? Confidence means I can, you know, I'm thinking of my own answers. I can stand tall. I can walk down the street without fearing day and night. I'm not always in fear. I just feel better in my own skin. Confidence allows me to do the things that I would normally do every day without recoiling, without crawling into a shell and hoping the world goes away. That, to me, defines confidence. There's a lot of definitions for me. I'm sure there's a lot of definitions for you. But when you think about what it takes to be confident, that's what I want you to think about. Like, what does confidence mean to me? And the next question is, who exemplifies confidence when I think about them? Because I have some people in my life that, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, that exemplified confidence to me. And um, I can also think of people in the movies, people in stories. Who exemplifies that confidence because that'll give me some resources from whom to draw. If I understand what makes them confident, then I might be able to apply this in my own life. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. Oh, I just think of someone else and I pretend to be them. That does help. (laughs) You can role model them. You can pretend to be that person. But this is like one tiny component of building a resource in you. So what does confidence mean to me? Who exemplifies confidence when I think about them? And I'll give you some more ways to build confidence because you'll look at them and figure out what makes them confident. Which leads to the third question, how does this person do confidence differently than I do? What do they do specifically? How do they stand? How do they speak? How do they respond to situations? All kinds of things. Fourth question is, what do I need so that I am more confident? And that's pretty much already covered because if you can see all of these components that make up confidence that you don't have, then you probably know what you need so that you're more confident. And another question along these lines is, what needs to happen so that I develop more confidence in my ability to protect myself? Let's just say that you, you want to protect yourself or stand tall or however you want to feel good in your own skin. What needs to happen so that I develop more confidence in my ability to do this. What needs to happen? I mean, these are things that you'll have to pause, think about, contemplate, write down. Because if you never visit this area of your brain on how to build a resource that will help you feel better and more comfortable, then you may not know how to do it intrinsically. You may not know how to do it easily. So this is the process of building a resource so that you can adopt it or at least have the starting steps to adopt it and build it and strengthen it so that you can utilize it. Plus, what we're doing is building the foundation for what will empower you. This is all about empowerment. You know, what are we lacking and what do we need to strengthen? Because as soon as we strengthen it, then we're not in that space uh, where we used to be that kept us disempowered doesn't mean that our threats become any less of threats. Those threats are out there. Whether you're afraid of someone that might attack you or you're not afraid of anyone or you don't know anyone that will attack you but you still have this general fear or general anxiety, that's why we need to look inward, see what we need to do for ourselves because, like I said earlier, maybe there's no system in place for this. So now we're building a system in ourselves because it starts here, starts, starts in us, We need to build the foundation and do the best we can to strengthen that foundation so that we're not caught off guard, so that we don't walk around in fear, so that we can live life at least more comfortably than maybe we are today. And this isn't for everyone, but this is for anyone that has these, any types of fears going on in them. We want to build resources. So the next question, and I'll go through this again, is what is one thing I can do today to move me one step closer to more confidence. So again, pause if you have to. These are the six questions that I believe will help you start to build some resources or at least get the process of thinking about building the resource down. Because a lot of people in fear will go around and just say, I'm afraid. And they won't take that apart. And what does being afraid mean? And where are you most fearful? Why are you fearful? Fearful. And it, and somebody will say, well, it's easy. I'm afraid this person's going to hurt me. All right, so where specifically are you afraid? And what would make you less scared? What would make you confident? What would make you brave? These are all ways we tear it apart and we drill down into what's keeping us from doing what we want to do with our lives instead of being motivated by fear all the time. I want to get you out of fear as much as possible. I would love to see you as the emotionally fearless warrior walking through the field with arrows coming at you and gunshots. I mean, like that scene in The Last Samurai when they're charging across the field, all these gunshots, and you just keep going because you're fearless. That's what I'd love for you. I don't know if you want it, <laughs> but I want you to have it because I want you to be able to go through anything in life without being motivated by fear. I want you to be motivated I mean, you'll have concerns and worries, it just happens, but don't be motivated to make decisions based on fear. I want you to make them based on what you want instead of what you fear. So the next component that we talk about is uh, stability. How can I become emotionally, physically, or financially stable? This is when I was talking about uh, emotionally abusive relationships, but let's just say that for you, Mary, are you emotionally stable enough to deal with this? Are you physically stable enough to deal with this? And if finances are part of this, like maybe you feel like you should move, maybe you should buy something to protect you. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, And are you in this place where you are stable in all three of these things or at least one or two of them? Because if you aren't, then we need to increase that stability. And I'm going to go through these six questions again, just so you have an idea of what you can do for yourself. To start building or rebuilding these resources in you. So the six questions are, what does stability mean to me? What does being financially, emotionally, and physically stable mean to me? You know, just a quick thing. If I feel physically weak, I may work out. I'm not saying that you have to do this. I'm just saying when I tried this on, if I felt physically unstable, then I would find a way to become more physically stable. It may not be possible for you. There are people that are disabled. There are people that are challenged in ways that, you know, they can't improve it there. So where can you improve it? I mean, I might even add mentally stable too. Can you intellectually get through this? So emotionally, physically, financially, and intellectually or mentally stable. What does stability mean to you? Next question is, who exemplifies stability when I think about them? You know, Think about people in your life that have a stability that you admire or you respect. And then number three, how do they do stability differently than I do? What do they do specifically? It's an odd way to word the question, but if you think of someone who is emotionally stable, how do they do it? How are they emotionally stable? How do they do that process of being emotionally stable? How do they do financial stability? Do they have a better job? Do they work weekends and I don't? I mean, how do they do it? How are they more mentally stable? You might think, well, they have a different brain. They think differently than I do. Yeah, but are they necessarily smarter? Do they know more? Do I need to know more? Do I need to educate myself? These are all things to think about. So, that's number three. Number four is, what do I need so that I am more stable? Again, that's kind of covered in the first three but we make this question so that we know specifically what we want to do for ourselves number 5 is what needs to happen so that i can create more stability in my life in my environment in my home you know wherever i go what can i do to create that stability a lot of these questions are similar like what do i need so that i'm more stable well what needs to happen so that i can create more stability is sort of an outside way to look at it like what needs to happen in the world or what needs to happen in my life in order for me to have the ability to create more stability these are kind of brain twisters too but (laughs) and the last question is what is one thing I can do today to move me one step closer towards stability and um, these six questions hopefully you've written them down by now if you're if you need these and if you want to follow along uh, are going to apply to also self-trust because it's vital that you trust yourself. So if you're in any type of relationship where you can't trust yourself or you've been taught not to trust yourself or if you're in this situation like you're in Mary where I don't know what I'll do if I see him, self-trust is vital. I, I need you to go through these questions. What does self-trust mean to me? Who exemplifies someone who trusts themselves when I think about them? How do they do self-trust differently than me? What do they do specifically? What do I need to do so that I am more trusting of myself? What needs to happen so that I develop more trust in myself? And what is one thing I can do today to move me one step closer to trusting myself? I'm not saying these are easy questions. I'm just saying that they are questions designed to invoke thought processes and patterns that maybe you haven't necessarily thought about. And when you do this, you break apart the fear a little bit. We're breaking apart fear. We're kind of demolishing it a little bit. It doesn't necessarily go away because there are real threats in the world, but at least it breaks it apart so it doesn't have such a grip, at least the strength of the grip that it had before. So you do that with self-trust. You do this with self-love. And the other one's self-compassion and decisiveness. So decisiveness is important. And hopefully when you have self-trust, you have decisiveness. But I see this a lot in emotionally abusive relationships where the person will be indecisive. They think they're going to do something and they choose not to do it. And then they realize they should and they go back and forth with it. And I've always been a proponent of make a decision regardless if you believe you're right or wrong. Just make the decision. And what that does is cause you to make other decisions quicker or at all. Because some people will be indecisive all their life and do nothing. And that's the last thing you want to do in this type of situation is nothing. So you want to start making decisions. Just do it. You you know, I have a decision I'm going to make. I'm going to do it. And then you do it. So it's nice to contemplate and think about what's going to happen. But eventually you just have to do something. You just have to start the process. Make the decision. Never be indecisive. Indecisive means... I'm going to sit back and see what happens. That doesn't always work, especially in this type of situation. It can work in specific situations, but in this scenario for you, Mary, being indecisive probably isn't the best idea. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about what I mentioned earlier about financial stability part and the practical steps that I want you to take beyond step one and two. We'll be right back after this. All right, if you're one of those people that puts their head on the pillow at night, but then you lay there wondering when sleep will come, perhaps you're not getting all the information you need to get a better night's sleep. It's like the last segment I just talked about, what is step one? Step one includes gathering data, reading, educating yourself. And one of the things that you may need to educate yourself on if you're not getting a good night's sleep is sleep. And one of the places I educate myself is a Better Night Sleep Podcast. I always look forward to the next episode. It's called A Better Night Sleep Podcast with Doctors Kin and Olin because that show is a great source of information on sleep. Now, the last time I talked about a Better Night Sleep Podcast, I mentioned that I gave up caffeine. That was a direct result from listening to that show. I mean, we all know caffeine is a stimulant, but I simply refused to give it up because I enjoyed it so much and I was in a bit of denial. <laughs> But that was only one nugget of information that changed my entire sleep routine. Imagine you get that one nugget of golden information that changes everything. That's when life can really change for the better. I want your life to change for the better. Tune into the show that features leading sleep experts in the military health system talking about how you can improve your sleep habits. They serve both military and civilians so don't let military health system throw you off you'll learn about sleep disorders nightmares sleep treatments and more it's a great resource and we all know that good sleep is essential for our physical and emotional health so use this show as a foundation for both a better night's sleep podcast is located in your favorite podcast player make sure to subscribe to get every new episode that comes out and if you don't have a podcast player go online and search for a better night's sleep podcast and it'll come right up. They'll even take your questions, so go listen to it and get a better night's sleep tonight. All right, welcome back. We are talking about empowering you. So that you can feel more secure in your own skin. You can feel more confident walking down the street or going to the grocery store or whatever you do in life and trying to get away from making decisions out of fear and being motivated by fear. Because fear really messes with us. It really does. And uh, our last segment, we talked about the components that lead to self-empowerment. And um, just I'm going to read this out of the mean workbook because it's it's worded well for emotionally abusive relationships. And we talked about stability. So it says stabilize your emotional, physical, and even financial state if possible, so that you are not so dependent on someone else for all your needs. Again, this is more geared toward emotionally abusive relationships, but I want you to apply this anywhere in your life that you think it relates. The next one about security, increase how secure you feel inside when you're not letting fear dictate your decisions. This is straight out of the mean workbook. Learn to trust yourself and trust your instincts, building your self-confidence. Love yourself and know that you are worthy. Become more compassionate toward yourself. And the last one, become more decisive, even at the risk of being wrong. And that's what I was trying to say right at the end of uh, the last segment is make decisions, even if there's a risk that you'll be wrong. Now, that doesn't mean you put yourself in real harm's way. That's not what I mean. It just means if you're so indecisive because you're always afraid that you're going to be wrong, then don't let that rule and run your life. Just make the decision knowing that, hey, I could be wrong, and I'll just deal with it then. And that's all that means. Those are for the indecisive people. Because what that does, it starts getting you used to making decisions, and eventually you make them faster because you learn faster. And you fail and succeed faster, which gives you the confidence to make more decisions later. But with that said, let me talk to you, Mary. You wrote and you said that you have a fear that this person's getting out of prison and he may even move in your town. What do I do if I run into him? So how are you going to empower yourself when you run into him? I think that needs to be an important question. How are you going to empower yourself so that when you run into him, you'll have as many resources that we've just talked about so that you aren't in a place of, oh, crap, what do I do now? This is forward thinking. You know, I'm going to tell you bluntly, you know you may be a target. If you haven't found any systems in place that can help you out through this or not help you enough, then you need to empower yourself to the point where you at least have some resource that you can use so i talked about financial stability and having the finances to do the things you need just in case you need to do them now i'm going to tell you some things that are my personal choices these are the steps that i would take i'm not saying you have to take them i'm not saying you have to develop my values my beliefs my ethical standards i'm not saying any of this if i were in your position I would consider buying something in the form of self-defense. That's only one tiny little component of this. But if I were in your position, that's what I would do. Does that mean a gun? Does that mean pepper spray? Does that mean a knife? Whatever it means to you is what it means to you. And again, it's not something I'm telling you to do. I'm just saying this because some people, you know, they don't like guns. They don't like weapons. They don't like this. They don't like that. I don't want to push anything on you. I'm saying if it were me and I felt like I might run into harm's way, I'm going to protect myself because I don't want to be the victim anymore. So if I'm you, Mary, I don't want to be the victim anymore. And you can hear that in my voice, right? I'm not going to be the victim anymore. This is the voice I want you to have. I will not be your victim anymore. Those are empowering words that will help you get on board with whatever you need to do for yourself. Because let's just say that the likelihood is high that you will run into him. If the likelihood is high and you have any fear that he will do anything to you, then you need to feel so confident that when you do run into him, that it's not a problem, it's just a situation that you need to handle. So when I try this on, I go, okay, what do I need to do? I need to protect myself, so I'm going to buy something. Me, I'd probably carry a gun or pepper spray. Just me. not pushing that on anyone, and I don't want a gun debate. (laughs) I'm just saying this is what I would do. So whatever that means to you. Now, I'm not going to stop there. Two is self-defense. What kind of classes can you take for self-defense? Not that you will ever need to use it, but maybe you will. But what happens when you take self-defense classes is that you learn to be able to walk confidently with less fear. I took martial arts in the 90s and that helped me feel confident that I could walk around knowing that I could protect myself or at least having the confidence to know that I could do something instead of nothing if something were to happen. So I like the idea, again, these are my thoughts, my values, my beliefs. Of taking some sort of self defense class, not that you're gonna use it, but because of the confidence it instills in you. Because if you can walk around knowing that, hey, I know how to get out of a chokehold, hey, that's pretty good information to know. Hey, I know what to do if someone grabs me from behind or grabs my wrist or starts something with me. I, I at least know what to do instead of, I have no idea what to do. There's just a difference there in the attitude and the feeling. So I really like the idea of self-defense classes. Again, not necessarily that you need it, but that you feel good having the knowledge and having that under your belt. Because I tell you what, ever since I took martial arts in the 90s, I've never needed to use the physical act of protecting myself. But I knew it was in there just in case I ever needed it, which has caused me to be confrontational when I needed to be confrontational, you know, breaking up fights and uh, entering someone's apartment when there was domestic abuse going on. I did have to do this and it was still scary, but knowing that it was under my belt made me feel confident enough to do the things I needed to do. That kind of confidence can help you make better decisions for yourself and have less fear. I'm not saying the fear goes away, it's still scary, at least it was for me, but at least you have another resource. The next thing I might consider is owning a big dog. <laughs> this is so practical, I'm not trying to say that you should get a dog or you even have the ability to get a dog because you live in an apartment or you don't, I don't know, but um, like I said, I've read a lot of stories and did a lot of research on this, and one of the stories I read, this woman was abused multiple times by her husband or her boyfriend and um even after she was physically beaten and they separated she took him back i mean it's a very common story the abuse victim will take their abuser back and um finally he went to jail and so now she is out of the relationship and she can finally think on her own without his influence and she realizes oh my god i what am i thinking i can't take him back anymore this is crazy it, my life is on the line and so she decided that she was gonna change her life and she knew that he would be released from prison. So what she did was she went out and got a pit bull and they show a picture of her with her pit bull and it looks like she takes this dog everywhere she goes. So now she has this resource that she has with her all the time. Again, I'm not gonna get into a debate about guns or pit bulls or any of this stuff. I'm saying that sometimes you have to do things for yourself that may not be popular with other people. And that's because you have to protect yourself. So a dog is an option. Dog is great. It guards the house at night. Doesn't have to be a pit bull, but I do recommend something bigger than a chihuahua or something bigger than a Yorkie. Uh, Not that they're bad dogs, and most of them will bark if somebody is outside the home. But I want you to think about what would make you feel secure. Like if you did have the option to get a dog, what would make you feel secure? German Shepherd, Doberman Pincher, I don't know. I'm not saying you have to turn him into a guard dog. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm saying that sometimes you can feel more strength when you have someone or something around, like hiring a bodyguard. Don't know if that's an option. I'm not offering that as a practical step, but I'm saying that when you can't do that, what can you do? And a dog can be a great option in that respect. And of course, if you get a dog, definitely take it to training. Learn how to train your dog so that he or she follows your commands. You do want to be able to say what you need to say to the dog so the dog will follow your lead. Because if you don't have some control over the dog and it's one of those bigger breeds, then that's that can be trouble and you don't want that. So definitely good dog training if you get a dog. Let's see, some of the other stuff that I ran across are the general keep yourself safe tips. Like not posting where you are on social media or not saying too much about your private life. I mean, you do have to make some changes in your life when you feel threatened by someone. Keep your doors locked at night if you're not used to doing that. If you have a roommate that doesn't lock the doors, then get rid of the roommate. You know, Do something that keeps you safe or at least educate the people around you so that they also know that there's a person out there that may be targeting you. You want to educate the people around you, have trusting friends, have a trusted network so that if anything happens, they know where to look and who to look at. You want to keep this fairly public in your own network. And my girlfriend said this, and I'm not advocating it. (laughs) She said, I don't know the laws or legalities behind this, but maybe it's a good idea. She said, just post his picture on Facebook and say, this guy is getting out of prison. He raped me. Don't date him. I just want to let everyone know. I thought that was (laughs) really bold and I love the idea. I just don't know if that's like slander or something like that. So look up the laws. Uh, That may be a path you want to take. I don't know. I'm not suggesting it, although I love the idea. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, However, that goes for you. I think it's a great idea because it, it lets everyone else know that this person is dangerous. So that's very helpful. However what kind of lash back will you get from that i don't know i'm not going to go there i'm going to let you sit with that and whatever you need to do there but i want to come back to this idea that your life will change your life uh has to change and it probably won't be normal for the rest of your life now that sounds awful i know it sounds like oh what does that mean i have to watch my back everywhere i go do i have to go everywhere with my dog do i have to go everywhere with a weapon do i have to you know do i have to change my life in some ways you do I'm just being truthful here. You know, some ways you have to change your life. But let me tell you what that consists of. Because, like I said, I took martial arts in the 90s. And what that caused me to do was when I'm walking in a parking lot, I look at everyone. I look at what they're doing. Which way are they walking? I stereotype people. I look at them and go, that person doesn't look too safe. I'm going to keep an eye on them. Even if I'm not staring at them, I'm going to keep an eye in that direction. I'm looking in between cars as I'm walking through a garage. I'm looking... I'm more aware, I'm more observant. I'm looking around. I must have watched maybe over 500 videos where criminals try to attack people. They have guns, they have knives. i watched these over and over again to try to understand a lot of the mentality, the psychology, and people's defenses, how they kick in and what they can do. I've watched tons of these videos. Not only to help guide others in these situations, but also teach myself. What do I need to look for? You know, you see somebody that looks perfectly normal and then they're suddenly attacking you. How do I figure out the signs? What are the signs of that? And I think that's very handy to know to educate yourself. There's a lot of stuff out there on video that you can educate yourself. There's a lot of self-defense videos even that you can educate yourself. But the idea that um, you'll be walking along and someone's on the other side of the street, you think, oh, they're perfectly safe. And then suddenly they're coming across the street and you don't even realize they could do something to you. I don't mean to say that to make you paranoid. I say that because it helps you stay aware. And the more you do this, practice active awareness of your surroundings, um, of what's in front of you, of what's behind you. It's an active awareness, not a paranoia. But what this does is it It causes your brain to stay more vigilant of your surroundings and the people so that you don't get complacent. And even if you didn't experience a crime against you, I would tell everyone listening to be more vigilant of your surroundings, to not just be on your phone looking down while you go to your car. I think you need to have the phone away Or if it's at your ear because you're talking, you're still looking around. You're still aware of your surroundings. So that when something doesn't look right, you can choose to walk the other way. You can choose to walk toward people. You can choose another path. Or you can just be prepared. So if something happens, all of these things you want to keep in mind. So this is how your life changes, Mary. Is that you become more aware of your surroundings. You become more aware of people and their behaviors Not because of fear, but because of you want to be prepared. This is all in preparation for anything that could happen, regardless of the crime, regardless of what happened to you. It's always good to do this anyway, just to get your brain used to it. Even in my own neighborhood, I will walk to my car where I feel safe and still look around. Not because I believe there's going to be an attack, but it does help me recognize what's going on in the neighborhood. It helps me recognize, hmm, do I know that person? What is that person doing here? Why is that person driving so fast? Why is that person doing this? I ask these questions of myself so that I'm aware, so that the next time I see the person, I can go, oh, I saw that person before. So people become familiar in your mind. And also behavior becomes familiar. You start to see behavior a little differently. So that's how your life changes, and that's how it can change for the better. I think it's always better to be more alert more aware of surroundings and more secure when you're home when you've got it locked up even though it sounds like I need to lock myself away from life in general but you think of all these things that could happen and you don't want to be paranoid about it so you do preventative measures so you don't have to be paranoid about it that's all this is about so Marriott I'm not sure what else I can tell you this is probably the best information I can give you at this time However, if uh, someone has experienced this, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you did uh, to protect yourself or to develop more confidence in you. Uh, If you've gone through this, someone was released from prison or you felt threatened, what did you do? I want to hear from you. You can write to me by going to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and fill out the contact form. And that way I can share it with people on the air. And maybe we can develop a new system for those that feel like targets. Because I don't want you to feel like a target. I want you to feel like you can do something about it if something were to happen. Because if you've been in a crime or not, you can be targeted by anyone. So it's always good just to be a little bit more aware, a little bit more vigilant in your life. And uh, for you, Mary, okay, so if you run into him, the last suggestion I'm going to give you is before this ever happens, is to actually visualize yourself doing it. You know, you're at a restaurant someday, or you're on the street, and suddenly he's in front of you. Think about the scenario, and if you have strengthened all these other areas of your life, your confidence, your stability, your self-love, and self-compassion, and you can walk around proud to be you and confident in your own skin, and have the attitude of, I am not going to be your victim anymore, I am not going to be your victim, what would you do? You know, if I try it on, I picture this person suddenly appearing in front of me, I would probably say, get the F out of my face, and then just walk on. I think it's important that you do this, that you visualize. It's like playing chess and thinking several moves ahead. I want you to visualize this so you have some sort of reference of what you're going to do. You know how it goes, is like when you plan what you're going to say to someone. Well, it's the same thing. You want to plan what you're going to say, plan what you're going to do, not that it will work out like that, but again, this builds a little bit of a resource in you so that you're prepared so that you don't have so much fear and don't live by that fear. You want to have this resource, even if you don't even use it. So think about what you'd say, think about what you do, and something will come to mind. Thank you so much for sharing this, Mary. I wish you the best and certainly update me if it ever happens. If you ever run into him or whatever's going on with that, I'd love to hear from you just to Know you're safe. Thanks for listening to another episode. We'll be right back. Say some goodbyes and my final words. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, A Better Night's Sleep Podcast. Tune into A Better Night's Sleep Podcast on your favorite podcast player or go online and search for A Better Night's Sleep Podcast. Everyone could use A Better Night's Sleep. I want to thank our latest donors, Asia, Christine, Anna, and Shannon. Thank you so much. Your donations go right back into the show and uh, they don't support, like, my lavish lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> I'll go up to the roof of a building and get in a helicopter and have the pilot land on a yacht. That is not how I live life at all. <laughs> this, these donations go back into the show and back into the technology that I use to create the show. And I am very grateful for your donations. If you want to donate, go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and you'll see the donate button right there. And thank you for those of you who've done that and uh, continue to do it. We have a few monthly supporters as well. And I appreciate you. I also want to thank the members of the patron program. Patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com is a great way to support the show as well and uh, allows you to get private episodes and workbooks and other things that you just can't find on the website or in this podcast. And I just recorded a new episode the other day for uh, patron members only. So if you want to check that out, you can go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and that's a great way to say thank you and also get back because I like to give back as well. And I want to tell you about the Mean Workbook. I, I did mention this earlier in the first segment. The Mean Workbook is if you are in an emotionally abusive relationship or you're not sure if you are, or if you don't even know what emotional abuse is, this is a great tool to help you determine just what's going on in your relationship. I call it an assessment and healing guide for difficult relationships because sometimes you don't know. There's emotional abuse. You don't know there's manipulation. You just ask yourself, why is this so difficult? If you have that type of question that you're asking yourself, you might want to check out The Mean Workbook. It's an assessment tool that will help you determine the level of manipulation and abuse that may be going on in your relationship. And of course, I read from it today. That gives you an idea of what's contained in it. And it gets a lot deeper than that, of course. But um, you can check that out at loveandabuse.com and see if it's a tool that you might need. And finally, I'd like to thank incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And in regards to today's topic, I want to share with you a very important uh, website that uh, if you are a victim of a crime and you want to know when the perpetrator is being released from jail, you can go to vinelink.com. That's the word vine, V-I-N-E, and the word link, L-I-N-K.com. And uh, it's a free website that you can use Uh, to find out when a perpetrator is going to be released from jail. I don't know if it works outside the U.S., I'm sorry, but I do know that uh, if you're in the U.S., this is a great uh, website to keep in mind, just in case you need to know what's going on. It's also, and I just found this out uh, after I recorded the first two segments, it also has a ton of resources for you. uh, If you need support groups, if you need advocacy groups, if you need uh, the phone numbers or websites, to someone that can help you, to to someone that can get you through a situation, uh, just like a lot of the stuff we talked about today. I have not researched any of the links, and some of them are broken, but they have a tremendous resource there. And from what I can tell, the website stays up to date with prisoner releases and such. So I highly encourage you to check it out. It's called Vine. Uh, The website is vinelink.com. And um, again, it seems to work just for the U.S., but no matter where you are, it's going to have links and resources for you that will give you an idea of what you can do in case you're in this type of situation. And I'm going to read you something else from the mean workbook because it applies to what we were talking about today and maybe another resource that you can use. And this is kind of like an anti-resource <laughs> because resources are those things that you can use to draw from when you need them you need confidence, you need strength, you need mental clarity. All these components can be resources inside of you that you can strengthen, that you can develop. Um, But one of the resources inside of you, uh, for a lot of people, are a true connection with their emotions. I mean, emotions are very resourceful. They are what tell the world you're human. They are how we connect with other people. They are how we show love and compassion and empathy and sympathy and support. All of these Wonderful qualities of life that we can share with other people. And these emotions, I want you to be able to access them anytime you, you want to. The problem happens when you have someone that's compassionate and kind and generous and loving and caring and supportive. Those types of people can often become victims too. Those are such strengths in someone but they can also be taken advantage of by someone that's unscrupulous. So, all of these wonderful qualities I want you to be able to experience and enjoy in life, you also have to be aware that they are a doorway for some people. They will take advantage of your kindness. They will take advantage of your generosity. They will take advantage in ways that you may not even think of because you don't think like an unscrupulous person, I hope. And if you do, I hope you're changing your ways. But think about all of the wonderful qualities and all the emotional aspects of yourself that are seen as kindness to one person and that person is grateful for it. But those qualities could be seen as a door that can be wedged open and be able to take advantage of you because you are unsuspecting. I'm not talking about, you know, you need to be hypervigilant, but you do have to be aware. This is being observant of what people are doing. This is why I tell people don't jump into relationships and fall in love so quick that you put the blinders on and invalidate all your red flags. I don't want you to do that. You don't jump into a relationship and put the blinders on and forget all the red flags because those red flags are when they take advantage of your kindness and generosity and compassion and all of those wonderful aspects of you. So what needs to happen, in my opinion, is that you do have to take things one step at a time and notice the red flags and like I say, validate the red flags, don't invalidate them, make it known in your conscious mind that your subconscious mind is picking something up and you need to be aware of that and it it is real. Now you can talk about it with the person, but you just don't want to justify it in your mind. Because if it's real today, it gets more real later and it gets harder to get out of. So what this has to do with what we talked about today is that one of the sections in the mean workbook says to be prepared to disconnect emotionally on purpose. So this is the anti-resource. You have a resource of all these emotions. Why would I want to have an anti-resource like this? Well, like I just said, your emotions can be a doorway to an unscrupulous person. So when you've been, become entrenched and or involved with someone who takes advantage of that, you need to disconnect those emotions from that person if you don't want to be taken advantage of again. This is so hard to do. I've worked with clients that are connected to their compassion and they feel bad for the person abusing them. This happens over and over again. You need to be aware that disconnect from those emotions will help you separate yourself from being taken advantage of. I don't want you to be taken advantage of. I want you to be empowered so that you can see these things happening before your eyes. But sometimes it involves stepping out of your emotions and seeing yourself over there getting taken advantage of. You know, you dissociate from that part of you and you look over there and you go, hmm, that person is taking advantage of me. I was very kind, and that person is taking advantage of that kindness. That's not right. I'm going to validate this red flag. I'm not going to justify it. So you look over there, and you see your emotional self getting taken advantage of, and now you are stepped out, disconnected from those emotions, and thinking with a more rational, thoughtful analysis of what's going on so that you can then get back into your body. I know that sounds weird, but resociate, if that's a word, and uh, integrate your new learnings with what you need to do next and take action based on that. This is a very handy skill. And uh, in the case of Mary that I was talking about earlier, if you do end up seeing him in front of you, if you bump into him somewhere, try to step out of that emotional space so that you can take care of yourself this could be a very helpful anti-resource for you. It's still a resource, but you know emotions are a great resource to have, just not in this situation. So we need to take them out of the equation so that we don't become emotionally triggered and perhaps uh, lose ourselves in that moment. We don't want to lose ourselves in the moment. We want to stay connected. We want to stay aware and alert and conscious, but just not so emotionally triggered. I know this isn't easy. It's not something that you can just turn on and turn off because that's how you've lived your life, but I would practice that in your visualization. I would practice, you know what? I don't care. You know, you practice these words to you. I don't care. Hey, you're in my space. I don't care about you. You mean nothing to me. He may mean something to you in, in a bad way, like he makes you fearful, but disconnecting from your emotions, you mean nothing to me. Just try that on. You mean nothing to me. I always say something that I want to believe fully with conviction. You mean nothing to me. I think if you practice that with someone in your life, it can be helpful. That is an (laughs) anti-affirmation. So when you say this affirmation, you mean nothing to me, it can help wire your brain to be prepared so when they are in your space, you don't have an emotion connected to it which might cause an emotional trigger which might cause you to be vulnerable in a in a way that you don't want to be vulnerable so on and so forth. So that's just another little tiny step in the right direction to help you get on board with whatever may happen to help you be prepared with whatever may happen so that you aren't just so unprepared that when it does happen you feel like you're completely helpless. I don't want you to be helpless. I want you to be helpful to yourself and a big way to be helpful to yourself is to keep an open mind so that you can step into that power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want always take steps to grow and evolve you are powerful beyond measure and above all and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you you are amazing